0: Hello, you're listening to Arts Talk Radio, and I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you regular news, reviews and interviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and the surrounding areas.
1: Arts Talk Radio Online Features on the arts in English.
0: This week the programme is dedicated to the recent Celebrating Descent Festival held at De Bali in Amsterdam. Our reporter Zoe Baus was covering the event for Arts Talk Radio and Arts Talk magazine.
2: I'm sitting here with Victoria Guggenheim. Now, Victoria is a body artist, she's an activist, she travels all around the world uh, using the body as a source of inspiration for her art. Victoria, just tell us, how, how did this start? Um, and you've told me a little bit about how powerful the body is as a as, a, as an artistic um, organ, I guess we could call it, but, but how did it all come about?
1: Um, well, I've always been interested in art, and I was drawing before I could talk. Mm. Um, and so I think, first of all, I was very, um, you know, visually oriented as a child, um, and I got my first set of... Um, face paints at around nine and I was doing makeup at around six and any piece of my pocket money I could, um, you know, basically hide away, I would, it would go on makeup and weird right. clothing and this sort of stuff. And I've always been really excited about the body as a source of transformation right. and how if you dress a certain way or paint yourself a certain way, it changes how you feel and your self-perception. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's in my blood really, I think. And uh, yeah, so I, I basically started face painting at age nine and progressed downwards and the rest is history.
2: <laughs> Indeed. Now you've told me you've worked on, on some some um, quite large movies, mm-hmm. um, but you also have used uh, the body as a, as a source of your own inspiration. What, what was one of your most inspirational artworks thus far?
1: Um, I think that's probably on the late Sean Jones, um, my piece called Immortal Enemies, and um, that merges two of my passions, uh, science and art. Mm -hmm. Um, And it contains uh, electron micrography of um, cancer cells attempting to metastasize. Um, So I did an accurate representation of those, and then also the pink ribbon in the middle as symbology uh, warding off the cancer. And he found this Really, really moving, and we both had a cry um, because his grandmother died of breast cancer. Um, And the thing is, as well, 400 men every single year are also diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, which people don't know about. So we um, both decided to do this, and um, we, you know, through our own kind of experiences, were, you know, talking and. we just found it to be a really, you know, moving piece because you know breast cancer is in my uh, family as well. Um, and now each um, print that I I sell, a um, majority of the profits then go to um, you know breast cancer foundations and that sort of thing.
2: Right. Now, just speaking of, of breast cancer, we're here today at De in Amsterdam, and we're here at a. Um, a freedom festival that's focused largely on human rights, but Mm -hmm. especially women's rights. Um, So how does your work interact with, with those ideas?
1: Well, I use the body as a form of protest and activism as well as doing uh, fine art pieces. So um, I've painted Mariam Namazi multiple times. Um, So we did the Free Amina campaign together. Um, And uh, I've also painted um, the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain for gay pride multiple times. Um, So this year we were the Imams of Perpetual Indulgence, instead of of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. um, And the idea is, you know, you're using the body as a tool of liberation and it can be confrontational to people who think women should be covered up and hidden and submissive and Mm. quiet. Mm. And, um, you know, for your listeners, I I don't do visually quiet. Um, I've got pink eyebrows and white hair and all manner of things. Absolutely. you know, and I, I think that that is a person's individual right to express how they want to be in the world, so long as it doesn't impinge upon another mm. person's right to express themselves visually. Um, so, I've actually been doing um, activism body painting since 2012, when I first encountered uh, Mariam's work, um, and just since then, it's just... You know, it's been something that's really integral to me, especially because the body is the oldest canvas we have, and body painting is three hundred thousand years old. Um, and I think when you are connecting with that lineage, um, you're connecting to something re- really primal, deep within the human psyche. I agree. And uh, it changes people for the better.
2: Yes. Now, now we spoke about how how powerful the body is, and also though just with this Freedom Festival in mm-hmm. mind the way that the body, and especially women's bodies, have been sexualized. Mm. Um, now you say that your work is, is not about that, and in fact it's, it often works against that yes. sort of trend.
1: Yes, so um, of course, if people want to, um, you know, come to me for something that's um, an erotic aspect where they want to express themselves sexually, that's one thing. Um, but largely speaking, if I'm doing exhibitions, um, then I find body painting to be and body art to be a humanizer, mm-hmm. because um, whether you're male or female, there's a story on your skin, and people. Like if you see either a man or a woman in that state um, of being painted or having paint on them, um, it's a really exciting thing to see because um, you, if, if you can, you can see it on um, people's faces when they come into an exhibition. They'll go, "What's that?" And then their prefrontal cortex kicks in, and they start asking questions about the paint, as in, "Oh, how did you paint that? And how long did it take? And oh, can I be a body painter? And you know all of this amazing stuff." Um, but what they're looking at is. Um, an expression of the human self. Um, Rather than something that is artificial, what I do with a lot of my work is bring the inside out. Mm. So whether someone wants to come to me because they've had bodily trauma and they want to work through that, or if they want to be a beautiful piece of art, Um, You know, that's all to do with their kind of inner wants and needs and desires and their um, need to be transformed. And I found it to be a really great um, tool of healing and self-expression and, um, you know, basically accessing what makes us human because if you're in kind of mainstream society you tend not to see that very much you see commercialized sexualized images of women and now more so men Um, and when you actually get to see like you know a real actual tangible human body with all the imperfections then you know covered in amazing pieces yeah exactly it's a shock (laughs) it's like you know literally people will just stop and stare um and it's but it's brilliant because you know it's a it's a big talking point and you see people's confidence as well really being boosted when they've been body painted in something they love, um, you know you can have people who are really pathologically shy suddenly become roaring dragons and things like that and it is wonderful it's a wonderful thing to okay.
2: see. Now now you did mention also how as you said you could make someone a beautiful piece of art mm-hmm. so that would be a largely aesthetic experience. Yes. But you also said to me you feel quite strongly that art is is very much a political yes. uh, tool. Can you just tell us a bit more about how those two then come together—the sort of the beautification of the body sometimes—and mm-hmm. then this notion yes. of, of it as a piece um, of politics.
1: Well, I. I kind of, I like otherworldly beauty rather than stereotypical mainstream beauty and that ties in with something called supernormal stimuli. Um, And this is something that art has done um, since, you know, we were body painting. So you take something that's found in nature and you warp it, distort it, extend it and make an even bigger and better version of itself. Um, You can see this in the cave paintings of Lacau as well, so um, when they were, you know, Um, painting bison they're painting enormous bison if they're painting women they're painting you know big breasted women and things like that Um, and Venus of Willendorf is a really um, prime example of that too Um, but I find if you kind of step into this world of like this otherworldly beauty where um, you know obviously the cheekbones can be really contoured and the eyes can be emphasized but it's done in a way that's artistic it actually draws the power you know, to the person who's been painted because people immediately want to look at that because you've tapped into, um, you know, this primitive part of the brain and then people are immediately there going, what's that? And then once you have their attention, then you can just have whatever message you've got. Um, So whether it's, you know, like a um, a stop Brexit rally, which I've painted at, um, you know, whether it's gay pride, um, whether it's, you know, a feminine protest, um, you know, whether it's, you know, other sorts of topless activism, like, for example, with Free Amina, um, you know, people immediately just stop and respond. Respond. Um And so if you merge the two together, you get this really powerful concoction of people being confronted with a body that's um, at once looking naked, but covered in paint and looks otherworldly, you know, stunning. And I think the, world, the word really is stunning as opposed to just beautiful, because they literally, you could just see it on their faces, they go, what? Um, you know, once you have this kind of powerful concoction, um, you then have people's attention. Absolutely. Um, so that's how they marry together for me. Okay. Now, just just to finish then, going forward, where is body painting going, do you think? Where is your body painting going? Oh, I think it has endless possibilities. Um, and, I mean, body painting is um, becoming bigger and bigger every single day, the actual body art world. Um, And it's not just something that's niche, like for example, like Guardians of the Galaxy used it. Um, There's new elimination shows, Skin Wars, that are using it in a mainstream sense. Um, But I see the merging of art with technology. Mm. Um, And I think that um, we're probably going to see a lot of augmented reality. Um, We're going to see um, people using it with, LED and fiber optic dresses as a form of body art fashion, um, which has happened in a few London fashion shows. Um, And I think mixing the primitive with the ultra, ultra modern um, actually creates something that hasn't been seen in the mainstream world. Um, and merging these ideas can allow you to give birth to new ones because that's what happens when ideas have sex. Um, and I, I think it's it's beautiful. And in terms of you know the actual formulations, we now have waterproof body painting. So this means now you can do underwater shoots. You can create entirely new worlds. The options are, are limitless. Exactly, and that's what makes me so excited about body art because not only is, the, is it the oldest art form we have, but it also has, you know, just this exponential potential um, when it's merged with other kind of arts and technologies. And I think if we embrace that and make that not necessarily, you know, trendy mainstream, but actually give it proper cultural acceptance, then it's going to be good for our bodies and our minds. Mm-hmm. And you know, if technological innovation goes, then maybe even our wallets. So who knows? Help.
2: To also ensure some humanity. Exactly. Massive <laughs> exactly. technology. Uh, yes,
1: because they are, that's the other thing as well. I mean, people see technology is so cold, mm. um, where you can actually use technology in, especially in an augmented reality way, to actually um, create empathy. Mm. Um, and that's what art is very good at doing. Um, so if you look at um, Roscoe's Mausoleum, for example, um, people are meant to, sitting there, like sitting in Roscoe's Mausoleum, and just weep. And it's engineered in such a way that you want to sit there and contemplate and cry and get in touch with your feelings. Um, Body art can do the same thing. It can really open people's um, imaginations, open people's hearts, open people's minds, transform people people away from trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, give them a sense of empowerment and all of these beautiful rich things make up this kind of tapestry of humanity um, and I think if we mix that especially with augmented reality um, that we're going to actually find some empathy in, um you know in a world that's that seems to just be brutal and capitalist and you know that sort of thing so I, I just you know I, I think that you know body painting is the ultimate human touch.
2: Victoria Guggenheim thank you for talking to us today on Arts Talk Radio. Well,
1: thank you for having me.
2: Arts Talk Magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk Magazine, all one word.nl. Arts Talk Magazine.nl
1: Arts Talk Radio Online
3: Tiroleço, posso cabelo Azeitona, já senti-la no lagar Com este tempo tu lá dentro Lembra-te o cheiro das esquinas do olivar Cantigas e pelo vento
0: was Rotterdam-based Portuguese singer-songwriter Magda Mendes, singing Oliveira from her current album of the same name.
1: Arts Talk Radio Online.
0: Taslima Nasrin is a Bangladeshi writer, poet, feminist and human rights activist, as well as being a medical doctor. She has written 45 novels and she's been forced to live in exile from her country for 25 years she was not even allowed to return for the death of her parents. So both met her at Celebrating Descent and started by asking her how her situation came about.
4: You know, I was born in Bangladesh. I started writing when I was 13 years old. But I practice. I studied medicine, I became a doctor. When I was a doctor, I actually also continued my writings, my writings for the newspapers and also I wrote poetries, but I wanted women's equality and uh, I fought against religious fundamentalism because I found that women are oppressed because of religion, anti-women culture, customs and traditions. Mm. I couldn't accept the idea that uh, women should be considered as inferior beings whenever i criticize islam for being anti-women i was attacked by religious fundamentalists and uh, a lot of conservative muslims um, even though you know people liked my writings on women's rights and freedom they couldn't tolerate the uh, tolerate me saying that uh, all religions are anti-women and we don't need any religious laws in this modern time we need secular laws, we need separation between state and religion and we need uh, you know uniform civil code based on equality and uh, we need women's total freedom mm-hmm. That was not tolerated by the government also by the religious fanatics also conservative muslims they kind of started war against me fatwas were issued against me they set price on my head instead of uh, defending me the government actually took action against me and the, the government filed cases against me on the charges of blasphemy and then ultimately i was forced to leave my country 25 years ago Mm. then i moved to you know the western countries i lived here as a kind of celebrated author i had, i had police protection for 24 hours Mm, but i longed for my country i wanted to go back to my country but the government didn't allow me to enter my country. And then I moved, after a few years of living in exile in Europe, I moved to India, I now I'm living in India. But also, there are Muslim fundamentalists are creating problems. They always wanted to kill me, wanted to throw me out of India. You know, so I have no place in yeah, this world. I like In the West, I feel like an outsider in the east also i feel like an outsider because because my views are different from the most of the people's views
2: but now but now this is interesting because of course you you feel you're from the east you miss you miss your your culture but as you say your views are so different from a lot of that culture certainly from the outside it seems to me that islam and and the culture of it are so closely connected so how do you I mean this could be interesting for a way forward how do you conceive of of a world without Islam but still with a sort of authentic culture I mean I think this is something that would be fascinating for other people to try to understand how how could that function
4: you know before Islam came we all had culture you know I believe in secular culture, we have our Bengali culture, Bengali dance, Bengali music, Bengali food and dresses, I love those. Mm -hmm. But when Islam was imposed, then hijab came, burqa came, all these, uh, you know, Arabic culture came. So we are not Arabic. So how could we accept Arabic culture Mm -hmm. only because people were converted? Mm -hmm. Uh, to Islam,
2: you could separate them. Yeah, yeah,
4: and also, the the traditions and cultures who are anti-Islam, we should not celebrate those culture. So society should evolve, mm. and you know all those anti-women culture and customs should go away. Mm. You know?
2: Now you also mentioned something yesterday, which I thought was interesting. When you spoke, you said that you felt because oftentimes people say that the Quran. Is, it's interpreted in, in in a negative way but the the book itself the writings themselves are are not so uh are not so undermining of women's rights now you said you feel strongly that this is not the case
4: i read the quran when i was very young i couldn't read the arabic i couldn't understand mm-hmm. the arabic it means i could read without knowing the meaning of the verses that i read So I got the book of uh, translation, Bengali translation of the Quran, and I found all those injustices and inequalities against women. So I couldn't believe that a holy book could have so much injustices against women. So I was not actually a believer. I was actually kind of searching for the truth, whether any religion is uh, true or not. So I studied all other religious texts and I studied about other uh, culture and religion and I found that all are anti-women, so I couldn't believe in any religion. My father was an atheist and my mother was religious. She she put pressure on me to pray and I couldn't actually uh, like to pray because, you know, I was a student of science. In the Quran, I found all the absurd things about science. It is totally anti-science, you know? So I, as a student of science, it was impossible for me to believe uh, the Quran, where it says that sun uh, revolves uh, around the earth, and there are mountains to make the earth stable so that it would not fall down. And also, the moon has its own lights, and all these bullshit. So I couldn't believe the, uh, you know, the verses of the Quran. I couldn't. I, I, I actually realized when I was twelve years old that Quran was written by someone who had no knowledge about science. Mm-hmm. You know. So when I in the Muslim country like Bangladesh, when I started talking against the Quran. I found that I was in danger.
2: Mm, you were standing, well, mm. not alone, but, but you were in a minority, did Yeah,
4: you, and not no one. At, when I started criti- being very critical of religion, especially Islam, there was no one besides me. Mm. There was no one. Actually, there were some secret uh, or closeted atheists, but they didn't support me publicly.
2: No. Now, maybe I can just bring it back then to your writing, which, so your writing, is largely i assume you write out of out of a desire to enlighten or to protest how do you how yeah. do you see your writing
4: you know i write poetry i started mm. writing poetry since uh, you know i was very young mm. there are 12 poetry books that i have written all my poetry books are about love about feelings and about women also their sufferings but it's not also all, against, you know, protest no. poetry. No, there are love poems. My love poems are liked by both men and women, and uh, and uh, my essays are very much, um, you know, kind of campaign for women's for rights change. and also protest against misogyny, protest against religious fundamentalism. No.
2: Uh, so, if if our readers wanted to sort of dip into some of your extensive writings, uh, where what, what could they start with? Which which book do you think might 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 be a good start <laughs> for them? Mm.
4: Uh, my girlhood is my uh, first book of my memoir. It got uh, some literary award. Mm. Uh, I would say that uh, they can read mm. my girlhood. It would be it was already published in the United States and also it will be published from Penguin, India, and also the French lovers, one of the book against racism, against religious uh, uh, fundamentalism, against uh, misogyny, and actually women's life, Mm -hmm. what women see in her life, patriarchal oppression, you know, all those are there. And also Mm, some books of mine you know in French also mm. in German okay
2: uh. Now, just looking ahead then where where do you see your work taking you, your writing work or and, and what do you sort of see in in the future? I mean, I think it takes immense courage to live as you do under under often I think under very dangerous or threatening circumstances, but you've you've persevered um and you're still with us so we we how do you see the future
4: uh my future is always uncertain you know i have been living in living in exile for 24 years i always thought that i would be able to go back to my country but i didn't know that i will never be able to go back to my country so today i will, i am in the west Tomorrow I will be in the East, maybe I will be thrown out of India where I'm living now. I don't know. I don't know where I will end up. So, but you know, it has been going going? on. What keeps you going? It's just that uh, uh, that I'm telling the truth, that many people are not telling. And uh, also there are many people who became feminist, became, you know, stronger, because they after reading my books, they tell, they tell me all the time, in the West, in the East, everywhere, that your stories and your writings actually give us strength. So never stop it, never, please continue. It mm. gives us strength and, and, and courage. courage. So that actually encourages me to continue. And I have seen that how poor, oppressed women, how they fight in their life, you know? maybe not the rich women and not the middle class women actually fight for their rights i have seen that the p- the women who have nothing who have no penny they fight for their rights mm-hmm. if they w- if they work in construction uh, area and they then they fight for equal pay mm-hmm. maybe the middle class and rich women do not do this mm-hmm. because they think it's a norm we should follow the norm because otherwise we will be Will be treated as bad women, mm. but those poor women do not actually care whether she, you know, they should uh, be treated as uh, bad women. No, they need food. They need to feed their children. Mm. They need to survive. So that those women also inspire me Absolutely. to continue. Taslima Nasrin, thank you so
2: much for talking to us on Arts Talk Radio today. Thank you.
1: Arts Talk Radio online. Features on the Arts in English
0: So that's all for this week but please join us for the next edition of Arts Talk Radio. If you have any comments, we'd be pleased to hear from you and if you click on the subscribe button you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest programmes. My name is Michael Hastid, and so for the moment it's goodbye.